0: Scripture together to the letter of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, chapter one, and verse one. Thessalonians one, one just after Colossians Paul, Silas, and Timothy. the Church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the Ephesian elders, says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And that verse has always been somewhere in the background of my mind as a pastor because I've never wanted uh, to avoid passages or books or genres of Scripture that might be challenging or difficult or that might create conflict. And so I've wanted to cover even the stuff that I found a bit frightening. Um, And any time I come to a new series, I always have that somewhere uh, in my mind. But I think as I come to this point in life and in ministry... Uh, And in ministry with you, you as a fellowship, as a family of faith, I really wanted to give myself the opportunity to share something of my heart for you as a people. And uh, I think that in large part is what has led me to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, because that's what Paul does. He shares a lot of his heart for the people in Thessalonica. There's an American pastor and lecturer called Daniel Hyde, who's written a commentary in Thessalonians, and he says in First Thessalonians, Paul opens his pastoral heart more than to any other congregation to which he wrote. As John Stott said, Paul's Thessalonian correspondence reveal the authentic Paul. We hear his heartbeat and see his tears. And so as we hear the heart of Paul, I hope you will also hear my heart. For you in the coming weeks. This week, I want to begin with chapter one. We read the whole chapter, but we're going to focus in the first three verses. And I must confess that the sermon isn't going to be much more than a reflection on five words that we meet in those three verses. So, by way of background, uh, Paul had a very good relationship with this uh, group of believers, with this church. In Acts chapter 17, he had gone with Timothy and with Silas to Thessalonica to preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. As was his custom, he spent a few days in the synagogue debating and discussing and pointing to Jesus, saying, This man is the Messiah. This is the one that you've been waiting for all these years. And some in the synagogue, some of the Jews came to faith in Jesus, but not many. And then having spent that time in the synagogue, he moves out to the Gentiles, to the pagans, and takes the gospel to them, and many more come to faith. In Christ, Luke says, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. The unbelieving Jews, though, were far from happy with Paul. And so they formed a mob They started a riot and they blamed the apostle. And so with Paul's life at risk, the church at Thessalonica smuggled him out of the city for his own safety. Some time passes. Paul is concerned for the church. And so he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how they are doing. Timothy comes back to Paul with good news. As young as they are in the faith, they are enduring, they are persevering, they are pressing on with the Lord. You can imagine how Paul must have felt he had left these young believers in a city filled with idolatry and with a community of Jews who are determined to snuff them out of existence. Such young Christians facing such ferocious and relentless persecution for their faith in Jesus. And yet, Timothy finds them still honoring Christ and still staying true to the good news of the gospel. And so in response to this good news that Timothy gives to Paul, Paul writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica. It's one of the earliest letters of the New Testament, eh, probably second only to Galatians. And eh, it's a great and glowing commendation of these early Thessalonian believers. So basically, chapter 1 through to chapter 3, we have commendation. Well done. And chapters 4 and 5, we have exhortation. Keep going. Don't stop. Press on. So, today, with that long uh, introduction done, we're going to look at these five words that we meet in the first few verses of the letter. Verse 1 Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the Church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace. And peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. These are words that would have been familiar to the Thessalonians. Both the Jews and the Gentiles. As as different communities as they were they would have been familiar with these words, grace and peace. They they were not unusual words. They were normal, everyday words. Then, just as they are now for us today, I might say to Deborah, Deborah, how gracefully you entered that room there. She might turn to me and say, Ross, Gaze piece. They're not not unusual words. They're normal words that we use in everyday conversation, as they were 2,000 years ago, both for the Jews and for the Gentiles. And yet, when we come to faith in Christ, these normal, ordinary words are infused with extraordinary significance and depth and meaning. We speak and we sing of amazing grace and wonderful grace and saving grace, for example. So, what do these words mean for us who are believers? Well, you may have heard, you probably have heard of the acronym for grace. Uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. I think there's something helpful about that acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. It is grace that sees us saved, isn't it? It is grace, a gift of God that causes us to recognize that something is wrong and that only Jesus can put it right. It is grace, a gift of God that shows us the reality and the seriousness of our sin. It is grace, a gift of God that shows us the sufficiency of Christ Jesus to secure our forgiveness, to meet our need as great as it is. The Christian life begins in grace It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. But the whole Christian life is grace. We never outgrow our need of grace, do we? Grace upon grace. It's the story of the undeserved goodness of God to His people. In his grace, he blesses us and he protects us and he provides for us and he keeps us and he carries us all the way home to glory. Our Christian lives are trophies of God's grace from start to finish. Martin Lloyd Jones says it is grace at the beginning and grace. At the end, so that when you and I come to lie upon our deathbeds, the one thing that should comfort and help and strengthen us there is the thing that helped us in the beginning. Not what we have been, not what we have done, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Christian life starts with grace, it must continue with grace, it ends with grace. Grace, wondrous grace. By the grace of God I am what I am, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul writes to these believers, grace to you. And from this grace, peace. Grace leads to peace, doesn't it? It leads to peace with God. And peace with God leads to peace within. Because we've got nothing to fear anymore if we are at peace with God if we are not at peace with God, then we have no real cause for peace within because we've got a lot to fear. But peace with God leads to peace within. And peace within ought to lead to peace in our relationships with others. We ought to be people of peace men and women of peace. Not men and women who bring strife and conflict and tension, but men and women of peace because we have this peace within, because we have peace with God. So I hope as we think about our relationships in the home our relationships in the family our relationships with our colleagues with our peers we are able to see that we are people of peace as we ought to be in Christ what a great blessing These words are grace and peace to you. Paul blesses all of the churches to whom he writes with these words, with this blessing. Every single one. Usually at the start, but if it's not at the start of the letter, it will be in there somewhere. Every church, in all sorts of different places. Not just geographically, but in terms of, you know, spiritually, spiritually what they're facing, what they're doing. They're in all sorts of different places. But to all of them, he writes, grace and peace. Whatever they need, they need that from God. And so do we. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then having blessed them with this blessing, he launches in to this eloquent chapter of commendation. They are doing so well, so well. I said earlier that uh, it's probably one of the earliest letters of the New Testament up there with Galatians, but what a stark contrast to the letter of Galatians. So Paul opens the letter of Galatians, and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and of turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. But here, for the Thessalonians, he can give thanks that they are staying true and faithful to the gospel. They are staying true and faithful to Christ, even in the midst of strong opposition. And he commends them For three things he has heard are evident in their life together as a family of faith. Their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by hope. And all of those are found in verse 3. Faith is what produces a Christian, isn't it? We are saved by faith. It would be hugely demeaning to the God who is high and holy to suggest that we could somehow make up for the bad things that we have done by doing enough good things. We... We can never do enough good things to get to God, but we can come to God through faith in Christ. We are born again into a new life, a new relationship with God through faith in Jesus. We don't need self-help, we need salvation. We don't trust in our own goodness, not anymore. We trust in Jesus' life and death and resurrection on our behalf. We trust in who He is as our Savior. We place our faith in Him as we wait for His return. So faith is not just believing in uh, certain uh, tenets of the, 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 the Christian faith. You know, up here, ticking academic uh, boxes of belief. Uh, Faith is about trust. It's about trusting in a person. It's about trusting in Jesus, trusting our lives and ourselves and our souls to Him. Faith is about trust. And these Thessalonians were trusting in Jesus, trusting in Him as their Savior. And for those of us who do that, those of us who trust in Jesus, that will show itself inevitably in the lives that we live. You can say that you tick certain boxes of belief and have your life utterly unchanged. But you can't truly trust Jesus and live the same life that you used to live before you trusted Him. Our faith in Jesus will show itself by the lives that we live and the words that we speak and the way that we see the world around us. Our faith in Jesus will show itself by the lives that we don't live, by the words that we don't speak, and by the way that we don't see the world around us. So the Thessalonians were doing well And Paul, who is many miles away, is able to give thanks to God for how well. And I pray that we would do well. That we would trust Jesus as he leads us to places of rest and refreshing and paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I pray that we would trust him when the great deceiver tries to tell us that same old lie that he has been telling from the beginning, that we would in some way be happier without trusting in God, that the Lord will not be faithful or that he will not be sufficient for us if we step out in obedience to us. Faith trusts in Jesus. Faith says, I have pledged my allegiance to him, no matter what the cost. And I will not deny him by refusing to stand out from the crowd. That's what trust in Jesus is. It's not only faith that saves us from the wrath that is to come, though it is that, Paul says that, in this chapter, verse 10. It's not just the faith that saves us From the wrath that is to come, but it's the faith that saves us for the works that God has for us to do today. True faith is faith that produces work, work that God will be pleased to bless. So, are you working? Are you doing things that you would not be doing were you not a believer in Jesus? Secondly, labor prompted by love. So faith is first. It's by faith that we enter into the Christian life, by faith that we enter into the Christian community. But faith is not alone. Paul says in the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13, The thirteenth verse, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I've said before, a number of times, that love is not just about how we feel. Our feelings are important, but love is about more than our feelings. We are able to choose to love. I've said before that love uh, is something that we do in response to the love that God has shown to us in Christ Jesus. These Christians had recognized how Christ had loved them, and so they loved Him. They labored in love for Him. That. That word is a word that's stronger than work. To labor is to toil. It is to struggle, even when it's hard, even when the wind is, is in your face, even when people are opposed to what you are doing, even when friends and family members and colleagues are trying to discourage you, trying to urge you to turn back to your old ways, when persecution is real, and fierce, and dangerous. They loved, and so they labored. Look at the, the end of verse 6. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They became an example for others to follow. Remember, it's quite a young church. And yet others can look to them and learn from them. Jesus often criticized the religious leaders of his day. I don't think God has much time for titles. As nice as it is when people call me Rev or Pastor or all these titles, I don't think it's important to God And I don't think we should have a hunger as Christians to get titles. But we should have a hunger as believers to live the kind of lives that others can learn from. To be able to say with the Apostle Paul, follow me as I follow Jesus. It's a wonderful uh, tribute that Paul is able to give to these believers when he says that they became a model for others to follow. And we ought to hunger to be a model for others to follow. We ought to, to hunger to be those kind of disciples Disciples who make disciples, who are leading others into greater maturity in the Lord Jesus Christ. To give ourselves to that is to give ourselves to something of eternal significance and weight and worth. We will never get there unless we learn to labor in love for our Lord. So lastly, endurance inspired by hope. Speaking to the boys and girls earlier about singing, and I meant what I said, I didn't like singing when I was a wee boy. I didn't want to come to church because I thought there was too much Singing. But now, looking back, I often think of the songs that I did sing as a wee boy in church. And uh, they're simple, but they're profound. And they're not just for children. They're for me today as a follower of Jesus. And one of those songs that we used to sing in Hillington Park Parish Church in the 1980s, was this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Do you know that one? Yes. Well, in a hopeless world, we need to be those people who are shining for Jesus, who are showing that there is a hope to be found that will not be snuffed out by the harsh realities of life. Our hope is a living hope. It's a hope that will never die. Why? Because it's a hope placed in the one who has beaten death. It's a hope placed in the living Lord Jesus. And nothing speaks more loudly to the world of the truth of that which we believe And when they see us suffering the same things that they suffer, or even worse, and yet they recognize, even if they're reluctant to, they cannot help but recognize that we have a living hope within us which hasn't been snuffed out. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We are looking forward to his return. He will come again to make all things new. And once again, that belief should affect the way that we live today in the here and now. It's been said that we are not to be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly use. That's not the problem. That's not the danger. The danger is that we are so earthly minded that we are just no use at all. As we look to the hope that is ours, we will be able to carry a peace and a joy in all circumstances that points to the reality of Jesus' presence with us. We will be more and more like Paul and Silas as they sang in prison, that dark, dingy cell became a place of worship and of joy Or like Stephen, as he was stoned, as he experienced that horrific, unimaginable death, he seemed to be filled again with a peace and with a love in the face of such anger and such hate. Or even the Lord himself, as he loved and prayed for those who persecuted him on the cross. The Thessalonians were enduring, they were persevering because of the hope that they had found in Christ Jesus, their Lord. They were laboring in love for the Lord, and they were working as a result of their trust, their faith, their allegiance to Jesus as Lord and Savior. May we follow their example in our day. In this town, in this nation, and in this generation, to the glory of his great name. Amen. Well, we stand together.